We all know about David's uh, horrible decision to commit adultery with Bathsheba and the, all the evil fallout that came from it. But that wasn't the only sinful choice David ever made. Today I want to zero in on one of his other sinful choices and see all the evil that happened because of that. And, you know, there's a lot of truth in cartoons. I always love those cartoons where you have the character trying to make a decision and you have the angel on one shoulder trying to get him to do good and the devil on the other shoulder trying to get him to do evil. Um, I think we'd all admit that we felt that tug of war in our own hearts at times. And David seems to be having one of those arguments in his mind as we come to 1 Samuel 27 this morning. Despite God's long track record of protecting him, David was in a deep struggle with doubt. How much longer could he evade Saul? How could he provide for himself and his men and their families? And despite eight years of watching God take care of him, David suddenly isn't sure anymore. He's contracted a very serious disease, uh, case of spiritual amnesia, and he's forgotten the faithfulness of God. And what happens when we develop spiritual amnesia? We take matters into our own hands and we come up with our own plan B. Plan A is God's will for our life. For David, that meant staying in the land of Israel and trusting in God to protect him and provide for him. Plan B is our scheme to handle things because we don't think God's plan A will work. David's plan B will prove to be a disaster to himself and to his men. So we're going to look at the disaster of plan B and hopefully we can learn not to make the same mistake. So some review of what's been going on in 1 Samuel. In chapters 24 to 26 of 1 Samuel, David grappled with the issue of revenge, twice against Saul and once against Nabal. And in every case, David was victorious. But his last confrontation with Saul opened the door to doubt in David's heart. And he began to wonder if God could continue to protect him. And it's important we remember that many of Satan's most effective schemes against us will come immediately after some of our strongest victories. So let's start by looking at why David was where he was at, hiding from Saul in the wilderness within the land of Israel. Turn to 1 Samuel 22, verses 3 and 4. 1 Samuel 22, verses 3 and 4. We read this. And David went from there to Mitzvah of Moab, and he said to the king of Moab, Please let my father and mother come and stay with you until I know what God will do for me. And then he left them with the king of Moab, and they stayed with him all the time that David was in the stronghold. Um, after David escaped from Saul the first time and began his life on the run, he gathered his family, especially his mother and father, and he took them to Moab, and he left them in the care of the king of Moab until he saw what would happen with Saul. Remember, David's great-grandmother, Ruth, was from Moab. All right? And he wanted to make sure his parents were safe and that Saul could not arrest them and then use them as leverage against him. Now look at 1 Samuel 22, 5. And the prophet Gad said to David, Do not stay in the stronghold. Depart and go into the land of Judah. So David departed and went into the forest of Herath. For a time, David stayed in the stronghold of Moab, safe from Saul. But God then sent him word through Gad the seer. David was to depart Moab, and returned to Israel. And implied in those instructions was that God would take care of David if he, if he was in the land. God gave David clear instructions for what he wanted him to do. It was up to David 
to obey God and to trust him, which he did for about eight years. By the way, in the Old Testament, dwelling in the land is always a sign of trust in and faithfulness to God. God gave the Jews the land of Israel as a possession, and to trust God meant you stayed in the land. In the book of Ruth, the great sin of Elimelech, uh, Naomi's husband, was that when times got tough, he abandoned the land and moved in with foreigners. And in Psalm 37, where we read that great verse, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Right before that, the, sol- the psalmist commands us that God's people are to dwell in the land and cultivate faithfulness. Several times in Psalm 37, uh, we are told that it is the righteous and the humble who will inherit the land. And that is a sign of God's great blessing. So dwelling in the land was crucial to faithful Jews. And as the future king of God's people, it was important that David dwell in the land of a sign, as a sign of his trust in God and his promises. And God gave David clear instructions about what he wanted him to do. So what happened over the next eight years? God repeatedly saved David. He saved him when the priests of Nob were slaughtered by Saul's man Doeg. He saved him the first time David thought about living with the Philistines when he had to pretend to be mad and was run out of town by Achish, the king of Gath. He saved he and his men when they rescued the town of Keilah from the Philistines and Saul sought to trap him inside. God saved him from Saul in the wilderness of Ziph, having the Philistines attack Israel at just the moment Saul thought he would capture David and forcing Saul to withdraw his men to oppose the invasion. He saved him from Saul when he was hiding in a cave and Saul came in to relieve himself. And God saved him when David and his mighty man Abishai crept into Saul's camp and took Saul's spear and water jug. In all these ways and more, for eight years, God has protected and provided for David and his men. Was it easy? No. Living on the run and having to constantly be on guard is tough. It wears on you. But David had God's clear instructions. Stay in the land of Israel and trust that God will protect and provide for you. But somewhere along the road, David began to have doubts. And where we see those doubts arising is in 1 Samuel 26, verses 17 to 20. Listen to what it says there. And then Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son, David? And David said, It is my voice, my lord, the king. And he also said, Why is my lord pursuing his servant? For what have I done? What evil is in my hand? Now, therefore, please let my lord, the king, listen to the words of his servant. If the Lord has stirred you up against me, let him accept an offering. But if it is men, cursed are they before the Lord, for they have driven me out today so that I would have no attachment to the inheritance of the Lord, saying, go serve other gods. Now then, I do not let my blood fall to the ground away from the presence of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to search for a single flea, just as one hunts a partridge in the mountains. At the end of his second confrontation with Saul, David makes this strange statement. That due to Saul's pursuit of him, David would have no attachment to the inheritance of the Lord and that his blood may well be shed away from the presence of the Lord. 
In other words, David is telling Saul, because of his pursuit of him, he may be forced to leave Israel and dwell away from the inheritance and presence of the Lord. So where is this coming from? Eight years, God has protected and maintained David. And now suddenly, David feels like he has to leave the land, even though God has told him to stay in the land. David is thinking of his own plan B, and David is about to make a very bad decision. See, the lure of plan B is it always seems to offer an easier way than God's plan A. And once doubt and fear take over, we tend to feel the necessity of taking matters into our own hands to make sure things work out right. Think of Sarah giving her maid Hagar to Abraham because she hadn't got pregnant when she thought she should. This is plan B has been growing in David's mind for a while, and now he's decided the time has come to use it. And there's a key truth you need to understand about plan B. The more we think about our plan B, the more likely we are to use it. And the more we think about our plan B, the less we think about God's plan A. So look at 1 Samuel 27.1. Then David said to himself, Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul will then despair of searching for me anymore in all the territory of Israel, and I will escape from his hand. David's last two run-ins with Saul have convinced him that Saul isn't going to change and will continue to hunt him down as long as he lives. And it may well be that Saul's relentless pursuit of David and the betrayal of David by fellow Israelites like the Ziphites have convinced him that it's hopeless to stay in Israel. His idea is that if he moves in with the Philistines, Saul will give up chasing him. But this is David's fear talking. And David does not know for sure that he will perish by Saul's hands. In fact, he's got God's promise he won't. But this is just his emotional reaction to a long season of hard times. It's always dangerous to make important decisions when we've come through difficult emotional times. And it's especially dangerous to make emotional decisions that directly contradict what God has clearly shown you. Never doubt in darkness what God has clearly shown you in the light. And at this point, David isn't seeking God or leaning on God's revealed will for him. He's making an emotional decision based on his own human reasoning. This is his own plan B to solve the problem of Saul trying to kill him. And it's a terrible decision. And did you notice what's conspicuously absent in this verse? There's no prayer. Not once does David call upon the Lord. Second, he doesn't call for Abiathar the priest to bring the ephod to seek God's direction, as David has done before and as David will do later. And third, there's no asking Gad the prophet what God would have him do next. Faced with a critical decision, David failed to use any of the means for seeking divine guidance whatsoever. He failed to use any of the normal ways he could to call upon God. This was a conscious decision on David's part to do what he thought best without consulting God. Now, why would David make a decision to leave God out of the equation? Probably for the same reason we make the decision to leave God out of the equation at times. He already knew what God would say, and he didn't like the answer he knew he would get. He probably figured 
If I ask God, he'll tell me to stay in the wilderness and keep living on the run for Saul like I have for eight years. And I'm tired of doing that. I'm going to find my own place to rest. And I'm sure if we thought about it, we could all find times in our own lives where we made the decision to leave God out because we knew what he would say and we wanted to do what we wanted to do. I did it when I decided to play football at Azusa Pacific, even though I knew God had called me to lay down sports two years before. But see, I had this plan B, and I was going to play football, and I was going to get a scholarship and pay for school rather than working and trusting God. It didn't work. And David is completely deceived here. He states that eventually Saul will kill him. But if you go through the last 15 chapters of 1 Samuel, do you know how many people told David he would be the next king? Samuel told him that when he anointed him to be God's king. Jonathan, Saul's son, told him that and told David he would do everything he could to help him. Abigail, his wife, told David he would be the king when she helped him. And even Saul himself told David he would be the next king. And at the end of chapter 26, he told David he would accomplish much and prevail. All these people and more told David he would be the next king of Israel. And David forgot it all. Doubt gives us very poor memories. So despite all this, David decided his only choice is to move in with the enemies of God, the Philistines. And this doesn't seem like a great brainstorm of an idea. He justifies it by saying he has no choice. This is all he can do. He's basically saying that his only choice here is to sin. Can I just say the moment we believe our only choice is to sin, we have been deceived and we have believed a lie. God never puts us in a position where our only choice is to sin. Okay? Obedience may be the harder choice, and we may not like it, but God never puts us in a position where all we can do is sin. David is deciding his plan B is better than God's plan A. And what's wrong with that statement? There's nothing better for me to do than move in with the Philistines. First, it violated God's plain command. Second, it wasn't his only choice. He could have gone to Moab with his parents. At least Moab and Israel weren't at war at this time. And God, again, never puts us in a place where sin is our only choice. If we think we have to sin, it's either because we've been deceived or we're unwilling to pay the price to do what's right. But sin is never our only choice. It may just seem like the easier choice. So David made the wrong decision for all the wrong reasons. He didn't seek God's guidance because he knew what God would say, and he wanted to do things his way. He rationalized his sin by saying it was his only choice. And he violated God's clear command to stay in the land. All in all, it's a pretty dismal showing by a man after God's own heart. David was committing to do, committed to doing his plan B no matter what, and it's going to lead to disaster and more sin. No wonder David wrote no psalms during this period of his life. All right, look at verses 2 and 3 of 1 Samuel 27. So David arose and crossed over, he and his 600 men with, who were with him, to Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. And David lived with Achish at Gath, he and his men, each with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam the Jezreelitess, and Abigail the Carmelitess, Nabal's widow. 
So David put his plan into action, and he moved all his men and their families to the Philistine city of Gath, where he was received by Achish, their king. The enemies of God are often willing to accept traitors into their ranks, and David's no exception. And here we see the first consequence of David's sinful decision. His bad choice has now affected his men, and he's got them to follow his leadership and example into sin. He's leading them astray. Our sin always affects the people around us. Think about your family. Think about your friends. It's never something that just affects us. It always affects others. Now, the first time David had gone to Gath, he was rejected by Achish and nearly killed. So what has changed that Achish, king of Gath, will receive him now? Well, this time David isn't alone. When he shows up at Gath this time, he's got 600 men, a sizable fighting force. Second, David is now a known rebel to Saul, and their feud is public knowledge. It wasn't the first time David came to Gath. Third, by accepting David, Achish is gaining an experienced soldier and leader of men and his 600 soldiers with him. And finally, this is a public relations coup for Achish and the Philistines. David's defection may well encourage other Israelites to defect as well. Achish had everything to gain and nothing to lose by giving David sanctuary. Achish's assumption, though, is that David will pay for his asylum by fighting for Achish. There's always a price to pay for sin. And in David's case, it will be fighting for the enemies of God. Look at verse 4. Now it was told to Saul that David had fled to Gath, so he no longer searched for him. This verse is very deceptive. You see, on paper, it looks like David's plan worked. When Saul heard that David was living in Gath, he gave up hunting for him. All right? And I'm sure David was patting himself on the back at how clever he was. I mean, if it works, it must be God. But there's a false sense of security here. There will be a great price to pay for David's decision to forget God and go his own way. And God will take his hands off David and let the full weight of David's decision fall on him. It's also another sad commentary on Saul's character, that he'd already forgotten his recent promise in chapter 26 to stop pursuing David and was trying to kill him again. It seems the heathen king of Gath was more trustworthy than the apostate king of Israel. At least Achish kept his word to David. So every decision carries consequences, good or bad. But in choosing between God's plan A and our plan B, there's a huge difference. Any consequences from obeying God's plan A put us in the center of God's will with all his strength and resources at our disposal. The decision to follow our own plan B puts us out on a limb with only our own wits and resources to get us through. And David's about to discover just how little his own wits and resources are worth. Look at verse 5 and 6. Then David said to Achish, If I now have found favor in your sight, let them give me a place in one of the cities in the country that I may live there. For why should your servant live in the royal city with you? So Achish gave him Ziklag that day. Therefore Ziklag has belonged to the king of Judah, kings of Judah to this day. After a while, David got tired of living in Gath with Achish, and he wanted a place of his own. And Achish was glad to oblige. And he gave David and his men the town of Ziklag. Understand, the enemies of God not only welcome traitors, they will work hard to make them comfortable. 
And that's what Achish did here. And don't miss the feigned humility David displays about, oh, I'm not worthy to live in the royal city with the king. His actions are going to show later that that really meant nothing to him. And some have said that David was trying to guard his men from the influence of Philistine idolatry and Gath by moving to Ziklag. But that begs the question, since his men would have been protected from Philistine idolatry, had he just obeyed God and stayed in the land? And I'm sure David convinced himself that he deserved a little comfort and peace after all he'd been through. The pressure was off, Saul wasn't hunting him, and now he could relax. But we need to be very careful when we start rationalizing sin based on what we think we deserve. A lot of evil is done that way. Because God's highest duty is not to make us happy or our life easy. It's to make us holy. So two truths to remember about this. One is that God will make us happy in the long run, and that is always his focus, the long run, not the short run. And second, God is far more interested in our character than our happiness, and will trade short-term happiness for holy character every time. When we choose to trust God, even in the midst of troubles and problems, we will find joy in the midst of those struggles, strength and resources to cope, and lasting happiness over time. But whenever we start to think God, that God must want us to be happy, it's a tip-off that we're about to do something we know is wrong. And what is significant about Achish giving David the town of Ziklag is that was an Israelite city the Philistines had captured in battle against Israel. So now David is guarding an Israelite city for the enemies of God. This is just one more consequence of David's bad decision to go his own way. Look at verse 7. The number of days David lived in the country of the Philistines was a year and four months. How long did David live in rebellion against God? A year and four months. That's a long time to remain in sin and refuse to repent. And the sin in David's life will only grow during this time. Think about a time in your life when you were living in sin. How long did it take you to realize it and to repent? Look at 8 and 9. Now David and his men went up and raided the Geshurites and the Gerzites and the Amalekites, for they were the inhabitants of the land from ancient times, as you come from Shur, even as far as the land of Egypt. And David attacked the land and did not leave a man or woman alive, and he took away the sheep, cattle, donkeys, camels, and clothing. And then he returned and came to Achish. David had a plan. He and his men would carry out raids against the nomads living in the uh, Sinai Peninsula south of Ziklag. And since Ziklag was already well south of Gath, he could carry out these raids without Achish knowing what he was doing. And he probably justified these raids because all these tribes were part of the Canaanites God had ordered Israel to destroy. And he left no one alive to tell where he was raiding. But this decision will backfire on David later on. And the large flocks these nomads possessed would also help supply the needs of David and his men. And whenever he turned from raiding, he also returned to Achish. All right, look at 10 and 11. Now Achish said, where have you made a raid today? And David said, against the Negev of Judah and the Negev of the Jeremelites and against the Negev of the Kenites. And David did not leave a man or a woman alive to bring to gas, saying, Otherwise they will tell about us, saying, 
So has David done, and so has been his practice all the time that he lived in the country of the Philistines. So why does David have to report to Achish? Two reasons. First, he works for Achish now, and he has to give him a report. And second, because he works for Achish, guess what? He has to give a cut of everything he gets in his raids to the king of Gath. All right? Now David is helping to fund the Philistines by paying tribute to Achish. And don't miss the fact that David is lying to Achish about where he has been raiding, telling him he's raiding Israelite towns. He's caught up in this pattern of deception and lying and manipulation. With no witnesses left alive, no one could tell Achish what was really going on. So why would David do that? Look at verse 12. So Achish believed David, saying, He has surely made himself odious among his people Israel. Therefore, he will become my servant forever. David lied to Achish about raiding Israel, so Achish would think he was a traitor to Israel, and he would trust him even more. And it worked. Again, if it works, it must be God, right? And Achish is completely taken in. He gave David a free hand to do whatever he wanted to do. And this whole section lays to rest any suspicion Achish might have had about David. David has manipulated Achish to get what he wants. And deciding to live amongst the Philistines was David's first sin, not his last. And once we start down that road to sin, it's hard to draw a line and say, this far and no more. Sin usually takes on a life of its own. Plan B always leads us into more sin than we ever planned on. And it certainly was true for David. Now outwardly, again, it looks like David's plan is working because he's been successful so far. But I have to believe David can't be happy with the state of his life. He's in spiritual free fall and the consequences of his sinful choices are adding up. He's living with the enemies of God, paying tribute to a Philistine king, guarding one of God's cities for the enemy, and lying about his every move to keep Achish in the dark. The consequences of plan B have been miserable so far, and it's going to get worse. Eventually, David had to come to his senses. You know he couldn't have gone on forever living with the enemies of God and ignoring God's will in his life. But there's one more final insult David had to endure before he finally would wake up and smell the coffee. Look at 28.1 and 2. Now it came about in those days that the Philistines gathered their their armed camps for war to fight against Israel. And Achish said to David, Know assuredly that you will go out with me in the camp, you and your men. And David said to Achish, Very well, you will know what your servant can do. So Achish said to David, Very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. It had to happen sooner or later. Israel and the Philistines had been at war for centuries, so it was only a matter of time till war broke out between them again. But this time it broke out while David is still living with the Philistines. Now David is not only living with the enemies of God, he's expected to fight for them against God's own people. And Achish views this as an opportunity for David and his men to show what they can do in battle and a chance for David to repay him for all the kindness he has shown. And David tells Achish, now he will see what he and his men can do. And it's hard to know if David means it or if he's simply telling Achish what he wants to hear. It could mean David and his men will fight for Achish against Israel. 
Or it may be one of those statements that doesn't mean what it seems to mean, and Achish may find out later what David can do, but not in the way that Achish thinks. Achish believes David's pledge and makes him and his men his personal bodyguard, whose job it will be to surround Achish in battle and protect him. And it was common for foreign mercenaries to be used by kings as their bodyguards since it was thought that they would be more loyal to the king. And this is a position of trust and honor, and it means that Achish still has no idea that David has been lying to him and deceiving him all this time. Now it's no longer David, future king of Israel. Now it's David, bodyguard for the Philistine king. All this just to find a little peace and quiet away from Saul. And you would think by now that David would see the folly of pursuing plan B and turn to God and repent. But no, David's going to take this all the way to the bitter end, and the end will be bitter. Look at 29, 1 and 2. Then the Philistines gathered together all their armies at Aphek, while the Israelites were camping by the spring, which is in Jezreel. And the lords of the Philistines were proceeding by hundreds and thousands, and David and his men were proceeding on in the rear with Achish. So the Philistine army gathered for war near Aphek, and they eventually started marching toward Jezreel in central Israel. And David and his men are marching right there with them. And you know that some of those men had to be thinking, what are we doing here? And the lords of the Philistines refer to Achish and the four other kings of the Philistine city-states. And David's in a tough spot. If he refuses to go to war with Achish, he would be seen as a traitor or a coward and could be executed on the spot. But if he goes to war with Achish against Israel, he will be seen as a traitor to his own people and lose the throne. It's a no-win situation for David. Look at verse 3. Then the commanders of the Philistines said... What are these Hebrews doing here? And Achish said to the, the commanders of the Philistines, Is this not David, the servant of Saul and the king of Israel, who has been with me these days, or rather these years, and I have found no fault with him from the day he deserted to me to this day? The other Philistine lords are angry when they see David marching with Achish. They can't believe Achish has brought 600 Israelite soldiers with him. And David is about to learn that while traitors may be welcomed and may be made comfortable among the enemy, they are rarely loved and trusted. And that's the case here. The Philistine lords don't trust David. And Achish admits that this is indeed David, but that he's been with him for more than a year and has proven himself faithful. He's never done anything to make Achish doubt his willingness to fight. But then Achish doesn't really know what David's been doing. Look at verses 4 and 5. But the commanders of the Philistines were angry with him. And the commanders of the Philistines said, Make him go back, he, that he may return to his place where you have assigned him, and do not let him go down to battle with us, or in battle he may become an adversary to us. For with what could this man make himself acceptable to his Lord? Would it not be the heads of these men? Is this not David of whom they sing in the dances, saying, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands? Achish wasn't very persuasive with his fellow Philistine lords. They refused to trust David at all and fear that he and his men will turn on them in the middle of battle to earn back Saul's favor. They just can't get over the fact that David's the one they sing that song about. 
And they order Achish to send him home, and they refuse to let him go to battle with him. Look at 6 and 7. Then Achish called David and said to him, As the Lord lives, you have been upright. You're going out and you're coming in with me in the army or pleasing in my sight. For I have not found evil in you from the day of your coming to me until this day. Nevertheless, you are not pleasing in the sight of the Lord's. Now then return and go in peace that you may not displease the Lord's of the Philistines. Achish has no choice but to send David back to Ziklag. And even though he's found no fault in David and would love to have him fight for him, the other Philistine leaders won't hear it. So you have to wonder what Achish would have thought had he known the real truth about what David had been doing all this time. Achish praise of David seems rather foolish in light of how David actually was treating him. And look at verse 8. And David said to Achish, But what have I done? And what have you found in your servant from the day I came before you to this day, that I may not go and fight against the enemies of my Lord, the King. So what's wrong with this picture? The sheer hypocrisy of David arguing he really wants to go and fight against Israel. He acts like he's the most sincere and innocent man who has ever served Achish. Is David really upset he can't fight for the Philistines against Israel? Is he begging for a chance to go to war against his brothers? If he wants to fight for the Philistines, then David's more deceived and confused than we thought. And if he doesn't want to fight for them, and this is just for show, then all his protests of loyalty are just one more lie aimed at, aimed at convincing Achish just how loyal he is. Either way, David is in a bad place spiritually. And again, the language here is vague enough that it can be taken several ways. When David speaks of fighting against the enemies of my lord the king, does he mean Achish? Does he mean Saul? Does he mean the Lord? It's hard to know exactly what David has in mind here. All we do know is that he's still not walking with the Lord. And look at verses 9 to 11. And Achish replied, I know that you are pleasing in my sight like an angel of God. Nevertheless, the commanders of the Philistines have said, he must not go up with us to the battle. Now then arise early in the morning with the servants of your Lord who have come with you. And as soon as you have risen early in the morning and have light, depart. So David arose early, he and his men, and departed in the morning to return to the land of the Philistines. And the Philistines went up to Jezreel. Achish understood David's frustration, but his hands were tied. There was nothing he could do since the other Philistine lords were vehemently opposed to David going to war with them. They didn't trust him to stay loyal to their side and fight against his own people. So Achish ordered him to return to Ziklag the next morning when the army marched north to Jezreel to meet Saul in battle with his army. And perhaps the best way to view this turn of events is that this was God's sovereign protection over his wayward but still chosen king. God used the distrust of the Philistine lords to keep David from making a horrible mistake by fighting against his own people. Had he fought for Achish, he would have burned all his bridges with Israel and would have been branded a traitor. And any hope of ever becoming king would have vanished, and rightly so. So early the next morning, David and his men began the long march back to Ziklag. And you have to wonder what David's men were feeling. Relieved? Angry? Frustrated? Whatever else they thought, you have to believe that most of them thought that when they decided to follow David, they never envisioned having to fight against their own brothers. 
And then a final disaster hit. Look at chapter 30, verses 1 to 3. And it happened when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day that the Amalekites made a raid on the Negev and on Ziklag and had overthrown Ziklag and burned it with fire. And they took captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great, without killing anyone, and carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters had been taken captive. When David and his men reached Ziklag, they found the entire city had been attacked by the Amalekites and that the, one of the, the peoples that David had been raiding and had been burned to the ground. And all their wives and children taken captive and the whole village looted. Everything's gone. This was of a revenge raid mounted by the Amalekites in response to the attacks David had been making on them. And don't miss the fact that it's because David and his men were living with the Philistines and had almost gone to war against his own people, that he and his men weren't there to protect their families. And notice, too, the raiders struck the Negev of southern Judah. Had David been in the land where he was supposed to be, he might have been able to protect the Israelites from attack as well. His decision to leave the land had severe consequences for his men and for his country. And look at uh, 4 to 6a. And then David and the people who were with them lifted up their voices and wept until there was no strength in them to weep. Now David's two wives had been taken captive, Ohinam the Jezreelitess and Abigail the widow of Nabal the Carmelite. And moreover, David was greatly distressed because the people spoke of stoning him for, they were all, for all the people were embittered, each one because of his sons and his daughters. David and his men were shocked and they lifted up their voices and they wept until they couldn't weep anymore. And even David's two wives had been taken prisoner. And the shock and the anger of David's men is so great that they even thought of stoning him. You can understand why. He'd led them out of their own land into the land of their enemies. They'd almost gone to war against their brothers and now their families and everything they owned was gone. This was as bad as it could get. And David's whole future stands on a knife's edge right here. The next decision he makes will determine if he becomes the next king of Israel or he too squanders God's blessing like Saul did. Fortunately, David is not Saul. Look at the rest of verse 6. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. For the first time in 16 months, David turned to the one source of strength and wisdom he should have been turning to all along. He turned to the Lord, and the Lord met him with strength. Don't miss this. After living in sin and rebellion against the Lord for 16 months, David calls out to the Lord, and God answers him. Amazing. David is finally at a point where God can use him again, and God meets him in his need and strengthens him. We can take great hope from this. If we find ourselves living in sin and rebellion, if we find ourselves doing our own plan B instead of God's plan A, if we will call out to the Lord in repentance, He will answer us and forgive us and restore us and strengthen us. He is indeed a God of grace and mercy. And we may still have to deal with the fallout of our choices as David did, but He will not reject us, His children. And look at 7 and 8. And then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, 
please bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue this band? Shall I overtake them? And he said to him, Pursue, and you will surely overtake them, and you will rescue all. Now faced for the, with the need for wisdom on what to do about their stolen families and, and possessions, David did what he should have done all along. He called for Abiathar the priest to bring the ephod so he could inquire of the Lord if his men should pursue the Amalekite raiders. And God told him yes, and David and his men pursued them and overtook them and were able to free all the captives the Amalekites had taken and recover all their stolen property. God had been waiting for his wayward king to return to him. And he was there for David the moment that he did. David's experiment with his own plan B is over. But think about what it had cost David. His decision to sin by moving in with the Philistines made him a servant of God's enemies, caused him to lead his men into sin, led him to lie and manipulate Achish for his own ends, and nearly caused him to go to war with his own people, and finally led to his town being burned and his family and property taken. We need to think long and hard about whether we really want to risk disobeying God's plan A for our lives. God tells us not to marry an unbeliever and deciding to do it because you're convinced that you can lead them to Christ is a plan B move and it will lead to trouble. Deciding you're engaged so it's okay to have sex since you're getting married anyway is a plan B move that will lead to God's harsh discipline in your life. Moving across country without knowing first that there's a solid biblical church there that you can be part of when you get there is a plan B move. What good does it do to make sure you have a job and make sure you have a, a house, but leave it up in the air if you're going to have a church or not? We need a church family, and not making sure there's one where we want to move is a plan B move. David's determination to do his own plan B move put him in a long downward spiral spiritually. Doubt caused him to make a horrible decision to move in with the Philistines, and his own pride kept him from admitting his mistake and going back home. He said no to God, and he did his own thing. And his life was marked by a web of lies and deceit, and he almost went to war against his own people. That was the final insult. And it's amazing how, how far down we can go once we make the decision to say no to God's plan A and to follow our own plan B. It's one of the worst decisions David ever made. And hopefully we can learn from it and do better. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that in Scripture you give us examples not only of all the great victories of your people, but also their failures, so that we might learn from them. And Lord, we see in David's life that he made a horrible decision because he thought he knew better than you did. And he stopped trusting you for your protection and your provision. And Lord, his decision to move in with the Philistines caused great evil amongst his men and all those around him. Lord, guard us from not trusting you. Guard us for taking matters into our own hands and doing our plan B rather than your plan A. And Father, help us to be faithful, to trust you even when things are difficult and to obey you and the things you have commanded us to do even when it's hard because it is in obedience to you and seeking your face that, Lord, you will provide all that we need to get through it. So I thank you for all these things now. In Jesus' name, amen.